Jason Owen here, stoking your zeal for the things of God in Christ. It's God's delight to reveal his secrets to us, his hidden truths to those who fear him. For example, there were once hidden truths and insights into the resurrection and the living of the dead. Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, that our Savior Jesus Christ, by his appearing, he has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It's one of my favorite passages. Jesus, our Lord, has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It's God's intent from the beginning. And yet he has revealed it to us through the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. I love that. All through scripture and the word of God, he reveals these little nuggets, these golden, precious things for you and me that we may enter into a more intimate relationship with God. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again, that I believe that we are more accountable to God than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because we know more about God now than did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have the Word of God on our laps, man, in the you know form of a book or on our phones, you name it. In apps, we have God's Word. We have His character, His thoughts, His hidden insights brought to light to us. In scripture. I loves me the word of God, man. <laughs> there are some things, however, that are really no secret at all. For example, we may even say it's a no-brainer that we ought to uh, prioritize money, time, and people. Not necessarily in that order, but we should prioritize money, time, and people. The way that we see these things, the way that we treat these things. Well, we find ourselves today in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. I really thought this was going to be a 1 through 12 kind of study. <laughs> Dig it in, man. There's just so much in these first four verses. And keep in mind, when the Bible was written, when this letter was written by Paul to the Corinthians, there were no verses. There were no chapters. These things were added later on for our convenience. And I'm so grateful they are because they help us to kind of dial in and, and focus on chunks of Scripture. But we really ought to remember that this is one letter to a group of Christian people who lived in Corinth. And this letter very likely would have been read in its entirety in one sitting for everyone to hear as the word just flowed and everything captured in context. We're going to try to capture in context today these four verses. This is on the tail end of Paul's thoughts about the resurrection, chapter 15. Really, really long chapter. Perhaps one of the most important chapters in the word of God as Paul continues his thoughts of priorities. I mean, you read 1 Corinthians, it's filled with get your priorities straight. It's not Paul, it's not Apollos, it's not Peter, it's Jesus Christ. It's not emphasis on any one spiritual gift. It's Jesus Christ and those gifts being used in order, decently and in order to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. It's having communion in order, prioritizing the way that we honor God in the bread and in the cup. So priorities all over the place. 1 Corinthians Chapter 16, verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, 
As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. But when I come, whoever you, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Praise God and bless his name. Bless the reading and the hearing and the doing of his word. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. Notice he is speaking specifically about a collection for the saints. For the saints, for Christian people. The apostles recognized Paul's ministry to the Gentiles, just as they recognized Peter's ministry was specifically to Jewish brothers and sisters who came to believe in Jesus as Messiah. But they asked Paul and Barnabas, his teammate at that time in Galatians 2.10, you can read about that, to remember the poor. Remember the poor. And I believe they were referring to the poor in the church. Not all poor people everywhere but those in the church, and in this case, those in Jerusalem. How do we know that? Because in verse 3, he says, When I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. This was meant for the brothers and sisters, the poor saints who lived in Jerusalem. Take, for example, what's written in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 30. Dr. Luke gave us this information here. It says, In these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now keep in mind, Antioch was like the Jerusalem headquarters. It was like the church headquarters for Gentile believers, similar to the church headquarters for the predominantly Jewish brothers and sisters who came to Christ in Jerusalem. And also keep in mind, in Scripture, in Antioch, they were first called Christians. In Antioch. So in these days, the prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and now in verse 28. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. By the way, there were about four different famines in the known world during the reign of Claudius Caesar, which is very interesting and good to know from a historical standpoint. In verse 29, then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. Saul being Paul, the apostle. Saul being very likely his Hebrew given name and Paul being his um, his name given him as a Roman citizen. So that's impressive. Gentile brothers and sisters gathering together a special gift to give to the poor saints in Jerusalem. When are they to do this? They're to do that on the first day of the week. Look at verse 2. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. It's a misnomer that Christians are required to meet on the Sabbath day. You hear other 
saints in Christ talking about going to church and enjoying the Sabbath day. But you got it wrong. If that's, if that's you, the Sabbath day, keep in mind, is a Saturday. The Sabbath day is a Saturday. Jesus was raised on the first day of the week. We call it Sunday. And saints have been gathering to worship corporately on the first day of the week for 2,000 years. Historically, we know this is so. Now, we're not bound to Sunday, and we're not Sunday worshipers, as if we worship Sunday, the day itself. We don't worship any day of the week. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he is our Sabbath. That's a different Bible study altogether. But he is our Sabbath. He is our rest. And we ought to enter into him every day. That said, if you can take a Saturday and do nothing but rest, by all means, man, enjoy your Sabbath day. God designed that day for us to rest. But believers have gathered on the first day of the week. I'll give you a few examples here in the scripture. Mark 16, verses 1 and 2. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, that means when the Sabbath day was over, that they might come and anoint him, the ladies were going to the tomb, very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. So the Sabbath day had passed. Faithful Jewish people made it a point not to travel further than a Sabbath day journey on the Sabbath day. They kept their travels short. They didn't start a fire. They didn't do anything that would resemble work. And so they stayed home. And as soon as they could, when the Sabbath day was over, these ladies were found going to the tomb to anoint the dead body of Jesus to make him his body smell good. But then, you know, Jesus is alive. That's the good news. It was on the first day of the week. They came to the tomb when the sun had risen. Mark 16, verse 9. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. John 20, verses 19 and 20, he says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. He may have more literally said, Shalom. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Praise God. Acts 20 verse 7, Luke writes, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, this isn't saying that the disciples couldn't come together more often than the first day of the week or that they didn't come together uh, other days during the week. We know that they did, but I do find it curious and interesting and insightful. In Acts 20, verse 7, it says that on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread that there they were to break bread, and Paul was teaching them a long, long time. His <laughs> brother preaching until midnight. Man, I try to finish our service at church. Let's get started at 11, and let's wrap it up at around 12, maybe 12.15, 12.20. If we have communion, it might go a little long. I want to be respectful of people's time, but man, there are some cultures, even today, where people will sit for hours to hear the Word of God. 
for hours. And I mean like seven, eight, nine, ten plus hours. Mainly because they very rarely hear preaching. And so when they have a preacher come to town, they sit there, man, in the heat, in that hot, hot places around the world where they gather together shoulder to shoulder, maybe on the ground in the, in the dirt, to hear the word of God, to hear good teaching. That was the first day of the week when the disciples came to break, together to break bread. That's a Sunday. We call it the Lord's Day. We meet for church on Sundays. Uh, we shouldn't just check the block and make that the only day that we gather or the only day we worship, but it should be at least that that day when we gather corporately as a whole, as you know, one body to break bread together, to hear the word of God, to sing to him corporately. How did Paul spend his Saturdays? He traveled a lot, this man. It was customary for him to visit local synagogues for three Sabbaths. You can read about that in Acts 17, verse 2. When you read throughout Acts and you follow Paul on his missionary journey and Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, who accompanied Paul on most of those journeys, you'll note that Paul would show up to a new town, a new, in a new city. Uh, he would go to the local synagogue where he'd find other Jewish brothers and sisters. And he, as a Jewish man himself, a Pharisee at one point in his life, so very well-studied, very well-versed, very disciplined, would read the Word of God and sometimes be asked to elaborate and share. And he would take advantage of that opportunity and share the gospel using the scriptures, which the only scriptures really available at that time were the old, what we call the Old Testament, the the Tanakh, you know, the Torah, the Ketuvim, the Nevi'im. Uh, it should actually be the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the, Ket, and the Ketuvim. In short, we call it the Tanakh. But the five books of Moses, the writings, you know, you have the the uh, Psalms and Proverbs, and, and then you have the prophets, the major and the minor prophets. Sometimes we break them down. But he would share from these scriptures that Jesus is Messiah, and that he died and rose again, and that was all foretold in the scriptures through the prophets from Genesis to Malachi. And sometimes they would want to hear more from what he had to say, and sometimes they would kind of boo him out of town. Sometimes he'd have to be snuck out of town. On one occasion in Lystra, they stoned him to death and left him for dead. That's how he spent his Saturdays. I'm thinking on Sundays, he got together with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and they had church corporately, most likely in someone's home or in a larger place if there were more people. But he said, continuing in verse 2, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. He didn't say that each of you lay your 10% aside, you know, that you stick with your tithe because that's what's required of you and that's what you give. There's really no evidence in the New Testament that Christians are commanded to tithe, to give a hard 10%. Frankly, you know, 10% is a really good place to start if you can afford to give 10%. There are plenty of examples in the Old Testament. There are pretty plenty of examples outside of the Bible describing the fact that there are many 
peoples of different cultures and religions who are accustomed to giving a 10%. The law of Moses mandated that people gave 10% of many of their things, of their livestock, of their grain, of, of their resources. So they would often give up to 30% or more of their things when it was all said and done. And I like what J. Vernon McGee has to say about tithes and offerings. I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, you know, if if the Jews gave abundantly under the law, how ought we to be giving under grace? A very convicting statement. <laughs> how graceful are we? 10% is a good place to start. They were asked to give as God prospered them. In other words, as God has given them whatever it is he had given them, that they would give as they were able, as they were prospered by the Lord. This gift was meant to be a blessing. This financial offering, this this collection was meant to be a blessing uh, on behalf of the Gentile believers to the believers in Jerusalem. And I, I know that because we know that because the, the word gift there in verse 3 Whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. It's the Greek word charis that's more often than not translated grace. Grace. I will, if necessary, I will go with you or they will go with me to carry your grace from the Gentile believers to our Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. These verses, you know, laying aside something, storing up as we may prosper. Most all of these verses, well, I'm going to share a few verses with you. These all have to do with this gift, um, this particular gift and offering on behalf of the Gentile church. If you were to go across the page as I look in my Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 10 through 15, um, the Apostle Paul writes this. This is, again, 2 Corinthians 8, chapter 8, verse... I'm going to start in verse 8. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his, his poverty, might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now also you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what, one, what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, and that their abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. So Paul was really... Not by commandment, not because the Lord told him to do this, but, you know, send people to the church in Corinth 
to remind them about the gift that they were very willing to collect a year ago and saying, I'm really just writing to test your faith. You know, Jesus became poor for you and me that we might become rich in him. And so when you first agreed to do it, surely you wouldn't have agreed to do it unless you had had it to give in the first place. So complete, finish, you know, what it is that you set out to do. And I don't mean that others be burdened and you know, or that you be burdened and others become rich off of you, but really that there would be an equality because as you know, Paul would probably say, I've traveled around, man, and I've seen so much poverty, especially in Jerusalem. You guys are really doing well here and you could share some of what you have to be a blessing to others. So let's do it, that there should be an equality. Please don't interpret this to mean that communism is a great thing. Because while we do see community and communism, if I could say so here in the New Testament, uh, the, the, you know, the construct of communism, socialism, um, left to ungodly men will still result in rich people and poor people. It's just, it's not a perfect thing. Here in the New Testament, the intent was that brothers and sisters from love, as God prospered us, would share what we have when we notice the need, that we would make sure that the needs were met. If you turn your page, look to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verses 6 through 15, Paul continues this thought. He says, This I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work as it's written he has dispersed abroad he's given to the poor his righteousness endures forever now me may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God, for the administration of this service, I believe he's speaking about this gift again in context, this gift, the administration uh, of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry they glorify God, for the sake of obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you thanks be to God for his indescribable gift this is powerful you know the administration of this gift it supplies the needs to the other saints and it also abounds through many thanksgivings to God when you are able to give this gift it is going to not only be a blessing to others but the response is so many people will lift up their praises and thanksgiving to God and they're literally praying for you and thanking God for you 
Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Not only the financial grace that was being bestowed upon the Jewish church by the Gentile church, but God's indescribable gift in Christ. Again, these have nothing to do with managing a church building and making sure that the carpet is neat and there are nice pews and the bathrooms are functional and paying the rent or the mortgage on a building. This is all money set aside to be a blessing to the church in Jerusalem. So how did the early church handle their money and their belongings just on a on a day-to-day, perhaps, uh, not necessarily setting money aside for this particular gift. We have some insights into that as well. If you turn to the left in your Bibles and you get to the book of Acts, in the book of Acts or the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, it's written, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. These are the early Christians, new believers even. They continued steadfastly in the apostles, doc, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and all and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as any one had need. So continuing continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That's fantastic, man. The early church, they came together. They continued steadfast, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, their teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. They were so reverent and respectful. That's what it means that when they had this fear that came upon them, upon every soul, and so many wonderful things were able to be done there. And they were all those who believed. This is the Christians. This isn't just a hospital for sinners, right? These are the saints. This is the house of God. They came together and they had all things in common, so much so that they sold the things they own and they divided them among all as anyone had need. And they brought them to the to the apostles. They continued together daily with one accord in the temple. The temple stood until about the year of our Lord, 70, until it was destroyed by Roman Emperor Titus. You find another example of giving in the early church. Turn the page to the right. You might find Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 35. He says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. And they laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. That's fantastic. Also, right? Man, great power. The apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the of the Lord Jesus. But man, how much so did these early believers, these new first century Christians, 
did they give witness to the resurrection of Jesus as well in the in the fact that they just loved one another they sold what they had if that's what it meant to distribute you know some of the goods to make sure that no one lacked anything it wasn't a crime to own a house or to own property or to have nice things it was just on their hearts apparently as great grace was upon them all that's what it means man to be blown away by the grace of god they were of one heart and one soul it says no one among them lacked anything they were attentive to one another's needs look there might be times when god may not want us to give i really believe that Paul said in his letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We are worse than unbelievers. We are worldly and behave like we're lost when we don't provide for our own, especially those in our own household. That's a very significant statement. And I also understand that to mean that God may not want me to carve out 10%, 20%, 30%. He may not even want me to carve out 5% of my income if it means that I'm not going to be able to provide for my family or not pay the rent and risk losing our house or being a bad witness to my landlord if I give to the church. Remember, Giving in the context of the New Testament was not to keep some religious machine going. We have to keep in mind church buildings probably weren't even built until the 300s. So this is about, you know, giving and sharing and equality and there being no lack in the body of Christ. But if you have a brother or sister who's just really strapped and They don't have a lot of money to go around. It might be wiser and better to pay the rent. In fact, it might be wiser and better instead of giving that money, maybe receiving some money from other brothers and sisters to help pay their rent. That's what giving in the church ought to look like. So kind of going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and Paul finishing his thoughts here in verses 3 and 4 on on giving, right? And the title of this message, again, being money, time, and people. We ought to get our priorities straight. When I come, whoever you approve by your letters, you know, write me, tell me who you want to take your grace, your gift to Jerusalem. And if I if I have to go, like if it's good that I go, all right, I'll go and they'll go with me and I'll go with them. I get it. He, Paul did not want to be associated with with money, with large sums of money. We know that because in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, he said, We are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. This word peddling, you know... It, it can mean like adulterating for gain. You might find a little note in your Bible that says it can also be translated adulterating for gain. You know, we're not as, we're not like the rest. We're not like so many people who are trying to, 
just pollute the word of God and sell it and rake people over the coals and get stuff and and be horrible, selfish examples like so many are. He says, but we're doing this out of sincerity from God. And we speak in the sight of God in Christ. That's Paul's intent. So with this large sum of money and this gift, this grace that was to be given, he he didn't really want to be known as the guy that was showing up and there were offerings collected when he showed up. He says, I don't want any offerings to be collected when I come, that there be no collections when I come, in verse 2. That money should have already been set aside and ready to, to go so that when he comes to visit and he leaves, he can go probably with some other brothers appointed by the church at Corinth and take that gift. How do we put this into motion? What's the application here? The first thing I would propose from the text here, I understand this is important because we're we're really informed here that we ought to meet often as Christians and regularly as a church. As we read in Acts chapter 2, it says they met daily. They continued daily in the temple. Now, temple, not just the the part where the priest went in and out, but the temple compound, that whole facility. All of the areas and gates and gathering places where they were allowed to gather and fellowship and pray and listen to good teaching and love on one another, we ought to be doing that. We should be meeting often as Christians and regularly as a church. Meet together on the Lord's Day. Go to church. Find a place where the Word of God is taught and and there's you know where it it's not just a bunch of theologically fat people and what i mean by that is it's so easy to get fat on the word of god and be mean spirited to know a lot of scripture but not love others you want to go to a place where the word of god is taught and where you just you also experience the love of god in hospitality and kindness in that place that's what i'm trying to say so that's my second point in application is we take care of one another in Christ. We meet often as Christians and regularly as a church, and we take care of one another in Christ. If you see a need, you know, meet that need. It may require money to meet that need. It may require sharing whatever it is you have in your cupboards or your refrigerator to meet that need. Do it. It's a blessing to see other brothers and sisters do that. It's a blessing when I get to do that. And thirdly, we ought to do so as God provides. Where God guides, God provides. We give and we supply and we distribute and we administer God's grace and his gifts as he prospers us. We do it as he provides. If you haven't read the book by George Mueller, autobiography of George Mueller, you really ought to read that. It will change it will change you, may change your life. It will hopefully change the way you see money, the way you view money, the way you save or spend money. I used to be so wrapped up with how much money I had to have in, in a savings account at any given moment in order to feel calm and at peace in case some sort of, quote, emergency came along. And I realized in reading George Mueller's autobiography is that the money I have, the resources we have we have what we need and it's like playing the game of life if you spin a six and it says hey you had a baby or your car broke down spend this much money to 
to take care of this newborn or to fix that engine that's blown. It's like, you know, sometimes you spin a six, man, and you have to carve out that money. And you may be tempted to do the man thing where you think about all those other things you could have spent $400, $800, $1,200 on. And it's like, oh, man. So what? You have what you need. You have what you need. We have what we need. And so give and spend or save, but but spend and give as God provides and as he prospers you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mighty word. Thank you for just allowing us to have what we have that we may be blessed and that we may be a blessing to others. So help us to, to do that, Lord, and to gather corporately on, uh, on the first day of the week and to meet, you know, throughout the week as brothers and sisters in Christ just being a blessing to one another and let us be bright and shining lights for others to see that they may want what we have that they may want who we have because it's you Lord we are if we are loving and good and kind in any way Father it's because of you because of your kindness in our love and and devotion and response to you. Lord, may it be out of devotion and from a heart that says, Lord, we just want to serve you and love you and give back because you continue to love and give so much to us. In Jesus' name, we pray. God bless you, my friends. As always, let God be true, but every man a liar. Make sure that you are bold and courageous.